This is the I Love Success Podcast. I'm Peter Jumrukovsky, and I have made a vow to myself to help as many people as possible to achieve their dreams. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success Podcast. I'm super excited to have you here with me today. If you're new to the show, my big fat mission is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. Uh, I'm a big fan of mindset. I'm a big fan of performance and unlocking human potential. And uh, I just connected on Instagram with a guy that is quite remarkable. And I, I wanted to talk to him for a while. We Here we are, we've made it happen. So uh, I have the guest here. He's one of the most remarkable athletes in US history. He actually has is the one who won most U.S. Uh, Olympic medals in any winter sport, eight. And I think we don't even talk about the, the medals from world championships, which is 21. And he's a national champion. He won Dancing with the Stars. And uh, he's done a, a, a lot of other cool things. But his story goes way back beyond that. Growing up with a single father, an immigrant, and, and learning how to juggle two different types of uh, backgrounds and putting that into something beautiful and showing up in in the world as a champion. So I really think you're gonna enjoy this conversation with Apollo Ono. So welcome to the I Love Success podcast, Apollo. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Peter. Good to uh, finally be chatting with you. I know we've been we've been trying to do this for a long time, and uh, my team kept delaying and delaying because of of the the book release happening on February 22nd, but. Uh, as always, um, love kind of the mission statement, the ethos that you are pushing really good stuff out there into the world. So um, I commend you and thank you for that effort. <clears throat> thank you so much. And uh, I see that the goat is gone now. Is that uh, something, <laughs> is, are you growing it back or what's up? <laughs> um, I, I, look, I had this thing since I was like 14 years old and uh, maybe 15 years old. And uh, I recently shaved it off during the beginning of the pandemic. And I said, you know what, like it's time for new beginnings. Yeah. And I've like lived with this like funny looking patch of dirt on my chin for so long. So it's time to, uh, to remove that. It was like the last piece of like my identity that was tied to my Olympic world, right? Yeah. So as I was like, <laughs> as I'm continuously doing like the deep work and reaching and learning more about myself, it was time to uh, start anew, so to speak. Love it. And let's talk about something that uh, I kind of can relate to in a way and something that you said in a previous conversation that I listened to. And that was that I hate losing. It's pure internal disappointment. And, he, and after losing, you, you, you have a hard time even sleeping. Can we just talk about that? I don't know if, if that's the case right now, but I know when you were a competitor and, and especially early on, this was the case. So let's talk about that pain and how pain can drive us to perform. And, and then we're going to talk about happiness later on, but let's talk about performance first. Uh, sure. I mean, so, so like in relation to what you're talking about, um, you know, dealing with loss and dealing with failure, missteps, shortcomings uh, on a personal level, it was, it was pretty um, traumatic, I guess, right? Because uh, of not only the internal drive and motivation that I wanted to have of like sometimes some pretty unrealistic expectations for myself to show up and perform every single time as if it was perfect. But also there was this like lingering 
I would say, fear of failure, of disappointment, of letting people down, particularly my father, you know, having growing up in that single parent household. Um, I, I probably couldn't have articulated it back then, but you know, nothing wanted, uh, nothing that I wanted more than than just to have the approval of dad, right, so to speak, and to have him head nod and say like, you are enough, it was enough, that's like really great. And part of that's not a part of my my father's ethos, right? My dad has always believed in me so much that I could give so much, I could learn so much more. There was always so much potential, so much more potential that existed there. And so that created this like internal flywheel of, um, just never being satisfied with results, especially when you didn't win and you didn't perform well. Um, and at times during sport, I, I've been, you know, I've, I've admitted this many times, it was probably pretty toxic internally, right? That flywheel of listening to the negative voice of listening to the, to the thing that tells you, Hey, you can't do it. It's not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Um, and if that par paralyzes you in some capacity, that's when you really need to start having I think a deeper look at what's motivating you. Why are you so driven by this one particular result? And are you not concentrating enough enough on the process on the process here um, to help you uh, levitate, you know, elevate your game to the level that's really required? So, it took a lot of sports psychology training. It took a lot of inner work. It's it's an ongoing process and one that I deeply enjoy. But um, I think our perceptions of failure and our perceptions of the, the pain and the emotional constraints that are associated with those results um, can be incredibly powerful tools if we allow them to be leveraged in a way that propels us towards those goals. Or like I said, they can really be restrictive and they can handcuff you to something that potentially is out of your control. And my entire goal is to get people to realize what's really motivating them. Is it um, a fear out of failure? Is it to satisfy something that's externally um, probably not important? Or is it really inner drive that they believe there's something there they could be better than? And so just articulating that, understanding what's driving you, and then setting the roadmap forward allows you to mechanically remove some of the emotion associated with those results and those wins and losses, and instead start spending a lot more time on the process, which is really where some incredible fruitful um, experiences can be had, whether you're in sport or business or whatever you're pursuing. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, in your opinion, do you have to have that excessive fear of failure to perform at the level that you that you performed? Do you think that is that is something that is important? But so like we we talk about balance often, right? In in life, and you know, like make sure you're present and and enjoy your life, and it's fleeting, and it's eighty six thousand four hundred seconds in a day, and 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 you know, don't get too wrapped up spending your whole day pursuing your career. Um, for me, particularly, if I was not so obsessed in the sport, there is no way that I could have ever possibly even come remotely close to achieving some of the goals that I set forth for myself. And a part of that's because um, that is what was required of me. Um, I, I deeply believe that there was far superior athletes in the world in terms of genetics and technique and ability um, but they perhaps, they weren't willing to do the types of things that, that we were doing in training. And so that started this really unique conversation internally to find how can I find the most incremental of performance gains done over time daily that would compound over a 10-year period to play the, line, play the long game so that by the time I show up at the end of my Olympic career and cycle, I can actually have that conversation with myself and say, I have zero regrets about getting here to this point. Everything that I've done has molded and shaped me and, and honed my skills to the level where I'm at. So 
Uh, I don't know anyone um, who has done something in sport particularly or in business or in any career who hasn't had a pretty challenging and hard period of time that they had to overcome. And the ability to bounce from that and continue to persevere and have that resilience has been pretty remarkable. Um, and I think it's, it's unique, right, Peter? So we, we look at athletes like Simone Biles, right? Who has this incredible plethora of performance and accolades. Um, and then the one time she doesn't show up um, to perform at the level that we would want her to perform because we want to export our beliefs and systems on her. And she instead says, I have nothing more to prove. Um, we get pretty angry. And so that was a really unique moment in time because everything that I think all of us have been conditioned for so long is that you are mentally tough. You can handle this pressure. And no matter what's going on through your head, you figure out a way to win. And to have someone at that level pull out was like, hey, that's against the norm. That's against the conditioning that I was brought up to believe. That can't be right. And so, you know, I, I, I have had a lot of conversations about this, but her obsessiveness and whatever was driving her for so long allowed her to be an absolute phenomenal athlete in many, 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 many instances and times and, and, and world championships and the Olympics. Um, and then when it came time to say, no, I don't want to perform, that was probably really hard as well. So the obsessiveness can go both ways, right? That, that, that inner cycle um, between our two years is something that I think we have to be very thoughtful and mindful of to make sure it's not um, spiraling out of control, so to speak. So if we, if we look back on your career as an athlete, when were you the happiest? And it, did that affect your performance positively? Uh, because we're talking about this struggle. And I know early on in my career as a martial artist, uh, mm. I had to win. So even if I won, it was like, <laughs> whew, instead of like, heck yeah. I don't know if you ever felt that feeling, but I, I know a lot yeah. of athletes. Have, and you here you are, you're doing this amazing performance. And the feeling you have is like... Whew, Relief. Relief instead of being <clears throat> fucking amazing. So uh, can we just talk a little, little bit about that? And is that, is, that, is that really a necessity? Because now when I look back at my career, I'm trying to see if, if there is a better way to doing this. Because I know a lot of high performers, they're actually suffering. And we want to have a good experience and a good performance. I think that's the ideal, but I don't even know if it's possible. Look, I, I do think it's possible. I, I think that to get to the most extreme of environments, um, it does take some extreme personalities of training because you're going above and beyond what typical humans are pushing their bodies to do. So that's the number one reality, right? If you want to be uncommon, you have to be uncommon. Yeah. And uncommon means you have to basically break the mold of what other people believe is okay, normal, um, and is attainable. And a part of that process is sometimes um, there's, you have to go to a dark place, like inside your mind. Um, and hopefully you don't stay there too long. That's the reality. So the relief thing I can totally relate to, uh, there's definitely a sense of, and a sigh of relief, like, right. That, 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 that you, the pressure's off for a second. Um, but is there a better path? I don't know if it's better, but there's definitely alternative paths that I believe still can allow you to have similar results. And a part of that again, is not being so married and handcuffed to a result that it dictates your happiness moving forward. It's really hard to say because a part of that is what makes us so competitive and so strong um, in being so extreme in pursuit of our goals. Um, and the other side is you can still be extreme in pursuit and obsessive 
but you don't have to be so married to the outcome. You can surrender to that outcome in a way where you can come to terms with it. And that's the only way that you're able to move forward in a way that's healthy. Uh, and I think I could have probably saved myself decades and years of stress um, that have been compounded over time had I been able to recognize that at an earlier stage. But you asked me, what was my most happiest time when I was an athlete? And it's a combination of when I was very young because I was doing it for play. And I think as we grow, this is something that's really interesting. As we grow, as we go through life, when we're a kid, everything is about play. Everything is about joy and being present in the moment and fully enveloped and immersed in this environment. And time, you don't even think about time. You're creating this like amazing moment in time. And then as we start to fail and we know what emotions are and expectations and pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, um, those scars and those experiences make us more wise and prepared for outcomes. Whereas when we're younger, we're quite naive and we jump off couches and buildings and we don't think like, oh, I don't see what the problem is. Only when we grow up later, we realize the danger associated, the consequence on the other side. Same thing with like relationships, right? You get hurt really bad once, you have very strong hesitancy to jump back into a relationship again or a job or work with someone that gives you red flags about someone who you work with in the past that you didn't that you didn't, cohes didn't have cohesion with. So sports is very similar in that way. So when I was younger, had that sense of play. The more I started taking the sport seriously, um, that sense of play was beginning to become trained out of me. And all of us suffer from this in our careers and life slaps you around like crazy. Um, and gives you unpredictable situations. But I think it's up to us to revert back to the play. The most successful people in the world have this unique ability and a sense of play, a childlike quality that makes it seem like what they're doing is seamless and fun and effortless. And that's where we want to get back to. And it's not, right? It's, it's hard because you still have to push the pedals of the metal and do the work. But also once you get to a certain point, you're no longer doing it for the result. You're doing it because you enjoy and love the game. And I think that's what I have found to be towards the end of my career that I really actually enjoyed the process. And that journey was an integral part of me growing and enjoying and loving skating, enjoying the attributes and the skills and the feeling, the sensations that I had on the ice, the smells that when I walked into the arena, the moment when the Olympic games was, was starting, like these are things that don't necessarily have anything to do with my result but they're a part of that experience. And I think that we lose sight of those things as we're continuously running up the mountain, we forget to look around at us and see how beautiful this journey is um, because we don't like to pause. We like to keep grinding. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of us are putting our self-worth in regards to how we perform, right? Uh, is that something that you have become better at? Because I, I remember early on in my career, if I won, I was, I was a badass. If I lost, I sucked as a human being. And that is not a good place to be in, but I know there's so many, not only athletes, but human beings in all fields of life that are walking around with this and chasing a performance all the time just to say, hey, I'm worthy. I think that I'm worthy and that, you know, self-acceptance self is something that's really hard for, for athletes and for people, right? To be able to look in the mirror and accept, accept yourself for all of your flaws and your insecurities and self-doubts. Like I have an exercise in one of my books that talks a lot about like that, um, that self-acceptance and that self-love in order to 
kind of move forward in this life in a way that allows you to say like, Hey, I, I am, I am definitely shy of 52 cards in a full deck yeah. and, um, and that's okay, but I don't have to remain as such. I can continuously keep working on myself in a progressive way. And I, and I love myself for that. Right. And that's hard, really hard. A lot of times we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see. We don't, that's why we don't spend a lot of time there. Um, that's why these Instagram filters are so damn good right? Because they give us this semblance of what we would like to look like, how we would like to be represented, the things that we would like to have, the life that we would love to be living. Um, and we can do that in a kind of a fantastical way. So I think reality sometimes is um, important to come to terms with and spending times around like, what's really important in my life? What's my true north? Am I doing those things? Am I aligned in that purpose? And once you are, oh my God, it's like you take off like a hundred pound weight vest. And you're like, shit, man, I've been doing something my whole life. And I feel like I've been chasing something for other people's opinions and for other people's expectations when these things simply aren't important to me. And that's what I really urge people is to, I don't really care what the goals and dreams and aspirations are for you, as long as you know the reasons why you're pursuing those things. And if it's for the reasons that you're willing to come to terms with, it's great, as long as you fully understand them. And that's cool. Why did you want to become the best in your sport? I think there was two reasons why. One, um, I, I was really competitive and I really, really enjoyed um, the competition. And two, I think um, deep down, I felt like I could be. You know, I, I felt like, uh, not always, but I felt like I could be. Every time I stepped on the ice, I actually believed that there was a chance that I could win. I didn't believe that I was going to win, which is interesting, right? A lot of very confident athletes, every time they step up, they're like, I'm, I'm going to smash this. Like, I, I will win. I am the champion. I actually didn't have that very many times. I was the complete opposite. I was like, all right, like I have a chance to win. And if I can put all the pieces together, then I'll get even closer to that chance becoming mine. And that's how I thought about things. Um, so I, I think that I, I was really driven by, I, I really did love what I was doing and pursuing. And <clears throat> I loved also going above and beyond what people thought were possible in my sport and in sport in general, both in terms of training, recovery, mindset, et cetera. Like that was a big part of uh, just trying to transform the way that we thought about extreme training. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I want to dig deeper because I listened to um, an interview, I think it was 15 or 16 years ago. And uh, there was mentioning about you chasing the perfect race uh, and, and I'm curious, do you recall, did you ever do the perfect race? I think I watch, I'm not a, a professional in your sport, but uh, the, the race that I, I really enjoyed and that where you really was in the lead from start to finish was 2006, right? And the 500 meters. Uh, so can you just share, like, did you, did you get to that perfect race and what did you feel the day of that race and the day before, was it something special in your mind and body that you felt uh, uh, that you could do this? The, the, the perfect race for me, uh, looking back, it, <clears throat> it wasn't the perfect race, but yeah. in the moment of time, it was, yeah. as we're, we're so self-critical. I, I, I think what's really interesting, so this was my second Olympic Games. It was being held in Torino, Italy. And uh, my first race, the 1500 meters, I was the reigning Olympic champion and world champion. I didn't, I didn't even make the final. <clears throat> I had slipped with two laps to go and it bumped me out of qualifying position. So that was one in the second final was the men's. So you were pissed meters. off. Is that what you're saying? 
I was really disappointed. Disappointed. Uh, it, it was weird because <clears throat> everybody in my team was almost already expecting me to win the race. So I remember going back to the locker room and it was just quiet because no one knew how to react. We hadn't prepared <clears throat> for second place, let alone not even making the podium. And then the thousand meters came and two days before the thousand meters, I had this dream that I basically had a simulation of the race that same people and participants in the final. And there was a strategy in which I passed into the lead with two and a half laps remaining. And I actually ended up winning the race. And then in the actual final, I hesitated and I didn't make a move with three laps to go or two and a half laps to go. And instead I finished third in the race. So you can imagine, like, I felt like I was given this gift and this vision two days before the final, and I didn't take it. And that was pretty devastating, A, because I was, I was living and staying across the street from the ice rink at the time. So every morning I'd open my eyes and I'd see the palazzo, which was the ice rink. And I just kept replaying that damn race in my head thousands of times over and kind of like... I had a, I had a, I had a, a talk with, with the team sports psychologist and he was like, Hey, Apollo, like you should be so proud of yourself. You came to a second Olympic games and you've already meddled because it's incredible. And in my head, I, I was like, don't you understand that this was a failure? <laughs> like this was like in my head. I'm just like, how does this guy not That's the amount this? of pressure you have on yourself. And I, I don't, <clears throat> yeah. a lot of people don't understand. It's like crazy, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then he was almost like, throwing the towel in he was like you know like you came here like you should be so proud like what an amazing experience you've had like you came here and i was like wait a second don't i have another race don't i have the 500 meters yeah. and that's when i realized i was like shit this guy actually kind of is like almost giving up like he just <laughs> thinks it's done and so you know I, I actually i didn't tell you but i had like a torn hamstring going into that that olympics um we kept it really quiet obviously for all the right reasons um and it was a strained uh, left hamstring and had like some ankle problems or whatever. Um, it, it was all fine. But in the men's 500 meters, the one thing that was different on that day was I remember walking into the arena and we talked about joy, right? And I remember walking into the arena, the Palazzo, and, and instead of jogging inside of the arena, which all of the, like, like all of the, you know, the, the, the security likes to monitor you where you are and where you're jogging during these times. And they gave us like this very short, like runway to like jog back and forth to warm up. But I hated it. It felt so constricted, right? It felt so like- Everybody's uh, there, right? All the company. Everybody's there. And like, uh, I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to just keep running. It was like a, it was like a 40 meter like track. You just had to go back and forth. Like, you know, you do like hundreds of laps just to warm up, um, just jogging. And I remember telling myself, I was like, I, I'm going to go outside today. And you know, you weren't supposed to run outside the arena. Like you're supposed to go, I, I was jogging around. I said, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do it anyway. So I, I jog outside and like the sun was like kind of peeking through. And I was like, man, like, this is like, what a beautiful day. Like, this is an incredible day. I'm like here in Italy, my second Olympic games, I have a chance again to like win a medal. Now I wasn't favored in the men's 500 meters. Like it wasn't like uh, something that I was, I was really dominant in that year. And there was like this sense of like appreciation for the sport again which allowed me to get into the zone and love it for what I was doing and less focused on the chance of winning. I was like, I, I'm just, I'm here. Like, this is what this, this is what it, this is about. I remember telling myself, this is what this is all about. 
is this moment right here. Like you being here, warming up, competing. And, you know, I, I get to the start line and I, I led the race from start till finish, something that I had never done in a long time. Strategically, it was a very, very, very well-played race because um, I basically held back in the first two and a half laps because of the other athletes were so much faster than I. So I had to really gauge my reserves and monitor my, my track pattern of left or right to make sure that they weren't going to pass me. So I had to go just fast enough so that they second guessed making a move, but I didn't have to go so fast that I would basically use all my, you know, my reserves. How do you um, feel that uh, when you're in the race? Because I know in martial arts, sometimes I've caught myself blocking and I don't even know that I blocked. Uh, how do you feel how close your opponents are or like your competitors? in the race. I mean, it's it, it just the thousands of hours of training. You know, I, I just, I, I knew the reason why it was the perfect race was because of the way that the start line was laid out. I was gifted lane number one by chance randomly, um, which gave me the highest possible chance of reaching the first block, which then I would be leading. Um, and the data shows like, you know, in the past, like traditionally, if you reach the first block first, you have like a 70 plus chance better of winning the race than other people. And then um, who was in second, who was in third, who was in fourth, and who was in fifth, it was so perfect. If that order had changed and there was a couple people like number two moved to four, number three moved to number two, the outcome would probably be entirely different. Someone may have actually would have passed me, but they didn't. So that was the perfect race. And um, you know, I remember crossing the finish line. If, if someone ever watches that race, I almost look surprised when I crossed the finish line. Like it was the first time I had ever won a race. And that's what it kind of felt like. It, it, it kind of felt like it was the first time, like I, I was actually the underdog, right? And, and uh, you know, I, I, can, I can actually, I can feel like that energy, even just talking about it right now at the tip of my tongue. Oh, joy. Just, it was a joyous moment. It was joy. It was surprise. It was, I wasn't concentrating on, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I was concentrating on just being tactical and being in the flow and protecting my position and skating the perfect track, protecting the inside lane, like all these things. And that's why it was really, really impactful for me uh, was that race. So do you believe that once you know your goal, that you should let it go and just focus on the process? Well, no, not let it go. I think it's really important for you to have the goal and metric associated. Like you need to be reminded consistently of what your ultimate target is. Because when you start to lose sight of that, then you run into this issue of like January 1st resolutions where you forgot the reason why you began. You don't understand the purpose. And it's much easier in the first two weeks of January to have that sensation and motivation because it's fresh and it's exciting and it's new. But when that is gone, what do you have to rely upon? What is there? And you need to have the mechanics associated with having the discipline, having the work ethic, understanding the routine and the steps associated to making sure that you're making progress towards that goal. What I'm saying around not being so focused on the result is that it takes you out of reverse engineering what those steps are going to require. That's really, really important. It's much easier to fantasize around the result of what we want and the end goal of getting something than it is to talk around the four years of preparation leading into Olympic Games behind the curtain when there's no one there watching. That's really tough. And that's what I really want to help people understand at the highest level is when you do prepare for these goals, these life goals that you've set for yourself, understand first and foremost what is why you are pursuing them. 
how do you maintain the consistency of effort and understand that the work is actually the shortcut to that goal. There's no other way. And so the more that you can embrace that change is hard and it's volatile and it's inevitable, the easier and the more um, braced you will be when life throws curveballs at you so that you can interact with them in a way that much more dynamic and fluid versus being floored on your face and unable to get up. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Seattle. I, I was there earlier this year and visited Bruce Lee's grave. Uh, cool. A long time dream uh, for me to go there. And uh, it's a very rainy city, very like <laughs> where I grew up. So can you just talk about growing up there with your father specifically who raised you while he was working uh, a lot? How, and I know you've gotten this question a lot, but I want to go dig a little bit more deeper how uh, his Japanese influences uh, made you who you are, because I know I'm a martial artist, so I, I almost feel like I am Japanese and I understand a lot of the things that make make you so strong, uh, just because that's how uh, a lot of the Japanese culture is. Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, the, look, the, the Japanese culture is one that is, it's a beautiful culture and one that is centered around uh, pursuit of perfectionism knowing wholeheartedly that it, that it is unattainable and the the dedication and attention to detail and how you do something is a really beautiful aspect of, of the culture uh, my father had ingrained in me at a pretty young age two things one that uh i had limitless potential and he would tell me that often and two it would require me to have relentless pursuit of that limitless potential, no matter what the result was, that there was always a way to dig deeper into this untapped reservoir of talent that you have to find something and some way to win. So that culture was there, but also philosophically, my dad, the way that he spoke to me in his like haikus and riddles, so to speak, around intertwining nature with life lessons when I would ask him questions and never really giving me the answer, I think was very much a part of my life growing up. Uh, but my father was one who really blended the Americana culture mixed with, um, you know, his upbringing and roots of, of coming from Japan. So it was, it was really, it was a blessing um, in, in a new way. I mean, look, I, you know, talking about like cultivating powers of belief, right? Like some of the things that, that I talk about often that my dad really ingrained in me at a young age was this, this, this quote by um, Pema Chodron, which is to be fully alive fully human and completely awake is to be continually, continually thrown out of the nest, it, which means going out of your comfort zone time and time and time again. And that is what it means to be fully alive, fully human, is having to scratch and claw our way when there is, um, when there is no other way out, it feels like. So my dad taught me that at a young age. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I can relate to that being a, a martial artist and we call it Bushi uh, and that's mm. a warrior in Japanese. And a lot of these traits at, as a Bushi have a warrior is very similar to high performance in general, right? It's not only Japanese, like show up on time. If you say something, you do it, you work hard, you, you always do your best. Those are natural for the warrior, right? And a lot of athletes have that warrior inside them. Uh, how, how did you move forward? 
when you were competing and getting better uh, because you were spending a lot of time training so hard uh, and and where did the support come from i know your father he worked a lot uh, you did not have any contact with your mom like how did you move forward and move past that uh, you know comfort zone of having that that love well, I think that that's why I was probably so harsh on myself growing up. I didn't have that. that you know, my dad was amazing. He gave me a lot of love. Um, and, but again, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with a, with, with a mom, right? So I didn't have that soft touch growing up. So everything I had was hard edged and about performance and about being a warrior, standing up strong to the flame, no matter how hot the flame was. Uh, and that, look, that had, it, that's had its implications in my personal relationships uh, for a long time my inability to, I think, empathize emotionally, both with my own teammates, with myself and with my partners. Um, it's been hard, man. It's been really hard, but openly understanding why I am the way that I am, why I operate the way that I do, and then being willing to work on some of those things has been a real transformational process for me as I go into the next stage of my life. I'm, I'm almost 40, right, Peter? Like we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of my first ever Olympic Games um, next month. It's really crazy. So in that time frame, I've had an incredibly blessed life filled with all types of wins and losses, failures and triumphs. And I'm just grateful to be the warrior that I am to continue on this path and try to be my best in every essence of what that is, knowing wholeheartedly that I'm not perfect in any essence and I have a lot to work on. So, um, you know, a lot of that has to come with self-acceptance. That's that's kind of the 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 establishment of new habits, so to speak, of is to you know use the, the tools and the inconsistencies that I have as motivation, but also spend time where I can't accept myself for who I am. And only upon that acceptance uh, can I begin to work on some of those flaws. Yeah. Did so you did face all of your demons. I don't know if I faced all my demons, but I think that I'm way more open than I've ever been in the past. I don't have sport as the outlet to express myself for rage and insecurity and self-doubt and fear. I can't use that now. Now, as I'm in venture or you know, with my new role as partner in, in this company called Tribe Capital, which is a venture shop in San Francisco, or this book, it requires me to have vulnerability on my sleeve, right? It requires me to open my heart up to people so that they can see in that I'm human just like everyone else, regardless of whether you put me on a pedestal as an Olympic athlete. My experiences and internal psychology is probably not too dissimilar to other people, but the way that we use that and metabolize that into progress and momentum could be made a little, a little bit different. So again, the more that we can understand ourselves, the greater that we can understand other people, the more empathy, vulnerability, understanding, and interactivity that we can have with the goals that are set forth in front of us, allow us to experience life in a way different lens and perspective. And instead of being someone who's a victim, we'd be someone who's making things happen regardless of outcome. Yeah. And uh, I want to talk about your book, but before that, I just want to ask you, I, when did you know that you didn't want to compete anymore? And how long did it take from you knowing that you didn't want to compete anymore to, till you actually stopped? Well, when I retired, it's not like I didn't want to compete anymore. I, I still believe that I had the physical capability of competing in two more Olympic Games. So theoretically, I felt that I should have just retired in 2018 at the Pyeongchang South Korea Olympic Games. Yeah. 
Uh, but I chose not to. I felt like that was the easy path. The easy path was to continue on the speed skating path and continue on the career. The hard path was actually trying to reinvent myself and try to find things outside of that realm. And we all go through that. We all know what that conversation is when we begin to reinvent and transition to a new identity. I think that I knew <clears throat> wholeheartedly that it was time was primarily because I felt like the blueprint for success had been reinvented so many times that I was very eager to explore other natural curiosities and parts of my personality. I didn't know what those were yet. I hadn't had a chance to grow and flourish in those environments. And a part of that was taking a road less traveled, taking a road that looked very unfamiliar to me. And in combination with doing things and saying yes to a lot more, it required me to really, again, go outside the comfort zone. Uh, we often forget that what's on our business card or maybe previous resume is not entirely who we are. It may be a big part of that personality and that, that character that has been built, but it's actually the attributes that we have learned throughout that process that are the most important. And those attributes are truly transferable across any career path and learning to fight, figure out what are those strengths? What are the things that make us tick? And how do we, how do we continuously harness the power of progress and reinvention that helps us along the way? And that's a hard pivot, right? Just like the name of your book. Uh, so let's talk about the hard pivot. Uh, what, what can we expect? It's about to get launched here in, in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, February 22nd is the actual launch date. Um, I, you know, I narrated the audio book as well. The book is uh, a, an idea that there can be alternative paths towards reinvention. How do we embrace change and show up fully and consistently? And knowing what everyone has gone through the past 18 months with the pandemic and all the different changes and geopolitical stresses and polarization of beliefs in our country, how do you remain focused, less distracted, and more aligned with your purpose and your true north? Here's some story around my background and experiences. Here's some of the things that were significant in my life. And hopefully it can help you spark and re-spark some or ignite that inner fire again to allow you to look in the mirror and say, I love you for you. I know that you can, and I'm not gonna give you another vote if, if you can't. I'm gonna continue on this path and set a plan in place to begin figuring out a series of exercises of what that looks like. Do I need to establish new habits? How do I set intention daily? Um, how do I be more authentic, right? How do I really value that process, I think, over prize? And then how do I define success? How do I maintain the relentless curiosity, right? Um, Albert Einstein said it best, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. What are those things that are in your life that you can maybe mem you know, memorize or you can tell your friends about that have nothing to do with your current career? Why? Why have you aligned yourself with these things that actually give you no productivity? So again, like think about these things in the way that your brain interacts. And apologize for the sun that's coming in. Um, uh, I can't change it. Makes but, uh, you look good, man. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, yeah. you said I'm 40. I was like, that's badass 40 year old. <laughs> probably gonna live past 100. <laughs> <laughs> My so, grandma's 104, so I hope so. Oh, who was your grand granddad? My grand, my grandmother is 104. She's still alive. 100, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Speaking yeah. of that, have you? How have you been? Uh, how have the Japanese uh, been following your career? Have you been popular over there? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think whenever I go back to Japan, it's um, it's a quiet celebration. Uh, <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about, right? It's always a quiet celebration. Um, 
but it's it's always very respectful and uh, I feel very much um, in tune when I'm there. Um, I haven't been back in so many years, especially the past two years because of the pandemic, but uh, hopefully that'll change. And, uh, you know, I love meeting with people like yourself uh, because uh, you've put so much effort into something, but now you also want to share and give back to others. So, so why is it so important to you to do all of this work? Because writing a book, and I, I know you've written several books, going out, speaking, sharing a message, it takes a lot of work. And I know a lot of people- A lot of energy. A lot of energy. I know a yeah. lot of people listening. Yeah, if somebody would pay me a lot of money, I would love to go and do these talks. But it's not always about that. You have to travel, you have to prepare. And if you're a fucking badass like Apollo, you have to perform at a certain level because that's just the standard you have on yourself. So it, it takes a lot. Uh, so I commend you for that. But why is it so important for you to, to do all of this? The reason why it's so important is because I have tasted bitter defeat. I have tasted utter failure. I have been on the other side when others were genetically better designed, they had better advantages, um, and they were just, they were better. Mm. I still figured out how to win. And I know people can achieve what they truly want. I know that people can truly have the ignition switch that says on, and that enough is enough, and they're willing to take control over their life. I've seen it happen so many times. And it's just so motivating to me to get people to find their own path, to listen to their own inner voice, to align with their own purpose and find it and be inspired by it, be motivated by it, not be pushed by it, be pulled by it, be so pulled they can no longer help themselves, but get up every single day and do these things. I know because I've tasted it, I've been there and I want other people to taste it and have been there too. Um, and that's what it's about is that's what it's about in my current career path, my day job of, of investing into early stage companies and supporting founders and letting them know the path is not going to be easy. And it's definitely not going to go exactly the way that you think it is. So prepare yourself for a roller coaster and enjoy the roller coaster and to also teach them and help them around not just what works for me, but to give them some tactical tool sets and guidance around Here's some things that have worked for many people. Try these. Find and carve your own path. It's all possible. I can't guarantee you an outcome, but I can guarantee you a hell of a ride. And that's what I want you to embrace. Thanks. I know we have a hard stop. I wish we had more time, Apollo. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time. Real quick, if people want to pre-order your book, where's the best place to do that? You can just do it on Amazon. Um, there's a link on my website, apolloono.com. You can find me on Twitter at Apollo Ono, Instagram at Apollo Ono. Um, would love to engage with you. You know, uh, Peter reached out to me. I try to stay as engaged as possible. Um, I've got this weird dichotomy of like, I want to be engaged, but I also don't want to spend too much time on social. So I understand the power of what that is. Um, again, like this book is dedicated for people who want to reinvent. They're looking for transition and they know that there's more to give. And hopefully that, that gives them some fire and some spark and some fuel to metabolize so they start to skyrocket towards the things they truly believe in. Thank you so much. And if you're, if you're here listening, watching, give Apollo some support. Uh, to, to be able to buy a book for 20 bucks, I, I can't even understand this. You can buy a book for 20 bucks and it has 10 years or 20 years of life lessons from one human being. Uh, it's incredible. And uh, just buy more books. 
uh, and buy Apollo's book because uh, I'm excited to read it. Uh, other than that, thanks again, everybody, for being here with us. I have a big mission. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it, subscribe, give us a review so more people can find us. That's it. We got to go. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you, especially to you, Apollo. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you.